Joey. Hey everybody. So we have an interesting episode today. Originally, Wei Chong and I, we were uh, we walked into the office, we were all set to record today, and we had a very different topic in mind. A really interesting one that we're going to talk to you about in you know, one of the next episodes here. But as we were getting ready, we were turning everything on, we were setting up with our, our new studio. Uh, Wei Chong, you mentioned that we're still missing part of it. You know, everything you guys can see is you know, here in place, but behind the scenes, we're still waiting on iMac. We're still improving the uh, the layout that we have here, right. and when we were talking about it, you mentioned you know have you you asked me have you heard about the short the power shortages in China, and I was I, I obviously hadn't I, I asked you I was like no I haven't um, and I said what does that have to do with our iMac like we're talking about our missing computer right and then you went on you get you gave you had a really interesting conversation with me. And then we decided that we thought you know it was really insightful and kind of in a lot of ways it, it lets us know. You know, what the ripple effects are, even though it's on the other side of the earth. Yeah, how is that going to affect us? And it's, it's, that's the interesting part because I have a lot of people that come to me and ask me about the current economic status, mm-hmm. right, because of my training and, and the business environment that I'm in. But people generally don't see the whole picture because they have limited information, right? So right. I think I'm in a very blessed um, uh, uh, situation here because I speak multiple languages, mm-hmm. right? So I'm a native Mandarin Chinese speaker. And then, and because of that, I am blessed to have multiple sources of information. So usually, I go to the Western media outlets. I don't get to see the whole picture because the, the Western, especially the U.S. media outlet, focuses, I think, too much on the domestic end of things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that that makes sense because that of gives course, them yeah. the most readership. Right. Um, but with the social media um, uh, right now, we tend to also see a lot of news that are being pushed our way through the different social media channels that we are on. Mm-hmm. But you have to be very mindful of that, the fact that they're pushing all these news based on algorithm. So if you, if you check uh, more frequently a certain type of news, then you're only surrounding yourself with that type of news. And right. that includes the geographical location, which I think is very dangerous, right? Right. Now, now obviously, the takeaway is that you need to broaden your horizon for uh, information gathering. And we've talked about this um, because, you know, obviously your intelligence depends upon the type of information that you feed yourself. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's very interesting that a lot of people have recently come to me and asked whether we would have a somewhat normal holiday season. I, I understand. Like, people are so eager. Yeah, the pandemic the, is subsiding. Yeah. Yes. And people are outside without masks again. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've heard recently. Do you know Hallmark, the the cable uh, channel yeah. Hallmark, yeah. is going to do like a like a countdown of Christmas movie, starting on October twenty second. What? Like it's, <laughs> I did, I like about talking about two months away. <laughs> oh like people are so eager to get back to that yeah. holiday mode because last year I, a lot of people missed it. The it was like, it was a flop. It was a flop. Yeah. People cannot gather because of the pandemic. All right, now you know with the holiday. You buy gifts for your loved ones. Mm-hmm. You go on shopping and all that. Are we going to have the same regular, normal holiday season? That's the problem. And what I'm seeing here uh, in our economy based on evidence and observations, you see we're, exper- we're still experiencing shortage. Right. And in one of our, in, in one of our episodes um, that we previously recorded, the podcast, we talked about the international supply chain and how – um, the production activities in one country could affect the other. And it's no secret that China has been 
one of the largest of world course. factories yep. uh, for yep. many, many years. As a matter of fact, that was the main reason why the Chinese economy uh, could have grown that much, that rapidly, ever since uh, 1988 or 78 when they did the economic reform, and they really took off after yep. 1988. Uh, but you see the computers, or so I called Apple, and I wanted to ask, I wanted to have a kind of like a, like a time frame uh, to learn when our iMac would arrive. Um, it's been a month. Right. And they have no idea where the, the computer <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, so even Apple doesn't know. Even Apple doesn't know because Apple is, to a certain point, is being held hostage, right? Because, again, the production process, I mean, you look at all the Apple products, it always said that design in California made it's in somewhere else, yeah. right? Yep, yep. And, um, so Apple doesn't have the complete information. And that's not just Apple, right? We're talking no. about uh, cars as well, right? So mm -hmm. Mercedes-Benz. Um, a month ago, decided to do away with all V8 engine um, in their lineup, except mm. for uh, the V8 in S-Class. And little do people know that the V8 engine is actually a profit generator for Mercedes-Benz, for the high-end models, because mm. they only put the V8 engine in the high-end models, and they, uh, they come out and say, we can't supply enough V8 engines. We, can't, we, don't, we do not have enough parts to sell the VA engine specifications for our two, 2022 lineup. Mm. That had created so much trouble um, and, and um, you know, squabble in the marketplace because people were waiting to buy the high-end cars. Yeah. Again, shortage. Right. Um, the other day, U.S. News and World Report um, approached me mm -hmm. uh, for a quilt, and they wanted me to comment on uh, when the the uh, most appropriate time is to look for discount on appliances. Yeah. Right? And then the second prompt that I got was, oh, then what about the pandemic? Does the pandemic change, you know, what you believe uh, would be the most appropriate time to look for discounts? And I was like, discounts? <laughs> no. No. This is not going to be a holiday of abundance. Um, again, based on what I just told you as well as you probably have experienced that yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, the other day, my goddaughter was looking for a costume. My two-year-old goddaughter wanted to have a Peppa Pig costume mm -hmm. for the upcoming Halloween. We went on Amazon, and we realized that costume is going to cost $45. True right. story. And I said, $45, if you're only just going to be wearing it once, is it worth it, right? So mm -hmm. right when we were considering it, the very next day, we go back to the same page. The same costume is now ch going to charge us $70. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. I think that ties back into one of the big things. You know, we talk about the ripple effect. We, we look at some of these other you know, economic factors around the world. It comes back now to timing. The timing this year, heading into the holiday season, is going to be really important. Right. I think consumers, I mean, I had someone the other day, they were talking about, uh, you know, the international economy, and they said, you know, hey, like, don't forget to buy your Christmas gifts. I'm like, it's, it's September. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, you're worse than Walmart. Right. And they're saying, no, 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 because the supply chain, the, there's not going to be anything left by the time we, we go to right, start actually buying the, like, the products during the holiday season. I'm like, oh, okay. And, then, you know, I started to, to think about that. Mm -hmm. And then based on your story today, yeah, I think to, to a large extent that's going to be accurate. Yeah. And that tells us two things. On one hand, you know, consumers are, you know, slowly starting to realize that they 
might need to buy earlier if they want to either you know have the product available in the first place or the, a decent price so it's not going from 45 to 70 dollars overnight right the buying season heading into the holiday season might take place earlier this year right and then the other side of that you know you as a as a business what kind of preparation should you be making and, and how can you like what what should we be watching around the world to kind of help allocate resources right. and help prepare right so the conventional wisdom in economics, as well as international, um, uh, the empirical approach is that you want to utilize um, uh, production factors that are mo most cost effective, mm -hmm. of right? course. which explains why a lot of um, uh, companies have operations in productions, ac production activities in Southeast Asia, including China. Mm -hmm. The coronavirus has, has forced all companies to revisit that strategy. Right. Because when there is a disruption in the supply chain due to the costly transportation, due to, you know, the uh, limitation of people and product flow, that has actually prompted a lot of companies to revisit their strategy. Now, if you look at China um, by itself, China has pretty much shielded itself from the coronavirus impact, mm -hmm. right? Despite the early spike in the number of cases, right. they were they were able to really tighten up the local control. And to this day, they lock themselves up, right? I mean, if, even if you're a native uh, Chinese, you want to go back, you don't necessarily, you're not guaranteed that you could get on the, get on the plan and, and go back. And even if you get to go back, there is a two to three weeks quarantine period that you have to go through, right? So China's strategy dealing with coronavirus is very different from other countries. Oh, yeah. Just there. a few weeks ago, they discovered just one confirmed case in the, one of the largest cities uh, in the northeast of China, they locked the entire city down. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I mean, have, had we been doing the same thing here in the United States, no city would ever be able to open. No. Right? That's so that's a very different strategy. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to comment on whether the merits or disadvantage of that, that strategy. That is a strategy, and they've been adhering right. uh, to that strategy. But the problem with that strategy is that you're further limiting the people and, and product flow, right? Right. Um, which prompted, um, at the time, a lot of uh, companies uh, moving their uh, operations and production activities away from China mm. to Southeast Asia. And now, now the story switched because the Southeast Asia, including Vietnam and Indonesia, they're still suffering very much by the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? So some of the companies trying to, you know, move the production activities back to China because China, at least, you know, the factories and people are resuming normal lives and all that, you could, right. you know, go on and, and, and resume the production activities. And now there is another danger because how often can you switch back and forth the production activities among, uh, you know, across different regions? It's costly. Oh, yeah. Right? So, uh, like, I, like I said, and I mean, it's time. It's time cost, too. Time more, cost, more too. More shortage to delivery. Right? And, and we talked about how, you know, the, it's, it's not like a, a light switch mm -hmm. where you could just turn it on and off. I mean, the moving of uh, yep. machines and the, the training of personnel, it all takes time, and it, it's very costly. Right. So, I've seen some companies are doing away from the conventional wisdom because the, the underlying risk component is too high. Mm -hmm. And they, they are now revisiting, oh, perhaps we should make everything locally, mm. right? And that idea goes directly against the international economic principle. That is, right. you want to leverage 
the most cost-effective way to produce or to, you know, to form your, to organize your supply chain. Right. 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 But because of this pandemic, now people are evaluating risk from a very different perspective. And, but the problem is here, right? right. So we started, we started the, the episode by, by asking people, you know, how many of you know what's going on in China, the power shortage, mm. for example? And, and there is some reshuffling in the industries in China as well that people don't know about or the Western media outlets don't report enough about, right? right. The power shortage right now, it's, it's an ongoing issue. There is a shortage of coal and, you know, the Chinese government doesn't have enough coal to generate power. Part of it is environmental concern, right? The China, has actually, China has actually made a commitment that in by the year of 2030, they want to they uh, achieve the highest uh, 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 coal usage. And then after 2030, after it peaks, mm -hmm. by 2050, they wanted to completely do away mm. from coal, right? That's a very noble goal, mm -hmm. right? So what's happening right now? Is, is the shortage right now caused by the principle that they wanted to um, diminish the use of coal? I don't think so. There's simply a shortage, right? right. So we've already seen the Chinese state media outlet that came out and explained, you know, stop all these conspiracy theories. We just do not have enough coal right. to burn. And mind you, we're just in the middle of fall. Right? Yeah. When winter comes, especially the north. Yeah, the consumption's going to be. Yeah, the northern part of China. Water. I mean, they need heat. Right. So what do we do? Right. Now, that has a huge implication on the rest of the world mm -hmm. because the power shortage has already caused the shutdown of many, many, many factories, right. which will supposedly would contribute to the holiday season, to the production activities that will benefit the American customers um, for the upcoming holiday season. Yeah. That is really alarming. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like when, when you get away from the most efficient process, the, the people that feel it, of course, are going to be you know, both the businesses and the consumers. Mm -hmm. But when those product costs go up, right, there's fewer gifts being bought. And so as a business, again, it, all of this eventually, you know, ripples out and it, it, it impacts your bottom line. It affects your ability to find new customers, even during what may be for a lot of companies the busiest time of the year. There's still it, – it, there, there are new challenges this yeah, year. Absolutely, absolutely. If we're talking about, like, hard goods, I mean, there right. are, um, there are uh, data and numbers available for you to check, right? There are certain uh, types of goods that we import uh, from Southeast Asia the most. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you can't do away with those. Right, right. right. We're talking about shoes, toys, you mm -hmm. know, um, uh, uh, clothes, um, uh, you know, computers, uh, chips, parts, everything, right? right? Um, and we can't do away with them. So in reviewing the supply chain, how would that affect the business owners here in the United States? In reviewing your business operation, do you have the component built in that will gatekeep and safeguard your mm -hmm. own production process? The answer is probably not, because mm -hmm. not only we oftentimes overlook the importance of having that planning process, we have a lag in right. understanding what's going on as explained. Right. By uh, the time we feel it, it's probably too late. Too late. Too late. 
And so, so when I got that prompt from U.S. News and World Report, and I was like, okay, I've, I'm already seeing this in, in, in the market, and I, I, I have this misperception thinking that everybody is on the same page as I do. Mm. And then I turn out, well, well, no. Because You read it from a different – Right, because yeah. seemingly I have this informational advantage because I've seen it, and not only I've experienced it, I've seen it, and I, I was able to deduct what's going to happen. Um, but what about the business owners? What about the implication on even money? For example, yeah. Um, so, on the, um, if we analyze it from a different angle, um, because of all these stimulus policies um, that we've had since the beginning of the pandemic, the, the U.S. dollars uh, were relatively weak mm. compared to other uh, currencies in uh, against southeastern eastern countries, uh, Asian countries. But right now, U.S. dollars have been holding pretty steady, mm-hmm. right? And so we increase all this money supply, but U.S. dollars are, are still being valued. Right. And so the purchasing power is still there because we could buy, but we got nothing to buy. Mm-hmm. When you have nothing to buy, what's going on? Right. How do right. we make sense of it? Right. All right. Let's take a little break here. When we come back, I have another story that I wanted to share. And let's talk about strategies. Here at WD Strategies, we help our clients develop leads, provide integration services, and expand their revenue model. We combine our consulting experiences and technological expertise to build business solutions. If you're interested in taking your business to another level, click on the link below or visit wd-strategies.com to schedule a free consultation. All right, and we're back. Wei Chung, you were just sharing you have another case study that you want to walk us through. So why don't you tell us about what, you, what, you're, what you're thinking? You know, people don't understand how much money uh, other people are making, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about international supply chain, what is it so? What is it so beneficial and so profitable or lucrative that people want to really source uh, foreign production to um, uh, to add to their business model? So, this is a true story. Right? So, this is a very interesting guy on the internet that try to understand why hydro flasks. Uh, water bottles are so expensive because mm-hmm. you go to the, you go the, you go to Dick's Sporting Goods on average is like what forty forty five dollars that you have to spend yeah. to yeah. get a hydro flask. So this guy is on a mission, right? And I believe I, I think Hydro Flask is a Portland based company. So um, this guy went to the database, uh, Trade Bureau database, uh, to find out the manifest mm-hmm. of where um, the Portland based company imported from. So on that manifest, uh, it showed there is a there is a Shanghai-based company. This guy again was on the mission, went all the way to Shanghai, um, Shanghai's database or whatever. They mm-hmm. found the contact information of that company, email, and he just emailed it out without, you know, hoping anything yeah. to happen. And uh, very curiously, he got a response from the company representative, asking. Uh, him for how many orders mm-hmm. do you do you want to put in right because this guy wanted to find out the bottom line for hydro flask right so this guy obviously uh in in, in return asked about the minimum order quantity mm-hmm. right and and he was actually preparing to get an astronomical number yeah turns out the minimum order quantity was only a thousand mm, wow 
And I was like, okay, so MOQ a thousand, how much? Unit price, you guess, five dollars. Wow. Now you have a little idea of how much money. Yeah. Um, um, the what company is, is nine, making. Nine times the, That's the crazy. Price. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm not diminishing. I'm not. Uh, dismissing the fact that the company has to put together marketing campaigns to really oh of course yeah there's already brand the product the margin besides cost absolutely of, goods sold, of course but the product itself the cost of the product itself yeah. five dollars base price base price yeah. five dollars so when we talk about the uh, best practices mm-hmm. or the, the 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 practices that you need to put in place to safeguard your production process or your your supply chain. People don't understand that there is a whole list of things that you need to do to review your value chain. Right. So in that hydro flask case, the, the true value is not with the product itself. The true value is with marketing. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, people hype about hydro flask is, you know, they hype about the logo. Right. 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 But, you know, for the logo to carry that much value, there is a lot going on behind the scene to make sure that people understand what the logo stands for. It's like, like Yeti, the, brand the same thing, yeah. the branding, God right? To Coca-Cola, it's the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when in reviewing the strategy, knowing that if the risk, again, underlying risk of having the products uh, manufactured in some foreign country, Back then, without, before the pandemic, before what we witnessed, uh, what happened in China in terms of power outage, the underlying risk was not that high. Right. That gives you that much edge in exploring the market, right? Because right. that gives you, what, $40 in profit, in yeah. revenue, yeah. to uh, organize your marketing effort and, and your operations here in the United States. Isn't that reasonable for you to revisit the value chain and maybe carve out some portion of it just in case things don't go the way that you plan. Yeah, just a hedge. Right? Yeah. So I've seen a lot of people, a lot of companies that try to, for example, move their production activities to Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, and I've also seen uh, people that are trying to rearrange their supply chain so that it covers more geographical locations right it's 100 percent painful because when you have to move especially hard production process around it takes a whole lot not yeah. only you have to have a whole understanding of the government regulations in uh, in different jurisdictions you also have to deploy people you have to leverage the personnel resources in different jurisdictions that actually give you a lot of more risk exposure but especially in the post-pandemic moment, this is, I think, the right time to think about supply chain mm. and your value chain, right? Um, I think people get comfortable with what they can do, mm. and they, for, the, they forget about the safeguard practices. Yeah. So where would you start? I would actually take a hard look mm-hmm. in the current process and identify which component carries the most value. Right. Right. And we, we talked about uh, the marketing value of Hydro Flask. Right. So when you say component, you're talking about brand versus materials versus like all all components of the, the offering. E- exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And and there's a there's a mix match strat- mix match strategy that you could take. One could mm-hmm. take two, right? If you can identify two production sites rather than just ha- holding on to one, right. that gives you that much more coverage. Right. At the same time. 
right? Because marketing can be done anywhere, but production probably cannot, mm-hmm. right? Can you identify comparable uh, production site, com- production site that gives you comparable quality? You know, I'm not asking a rhetorical question because you really need to study and research. Yeah, if the if the quality of that one manufacturer, if that is the single most like kind of like defining uh, right you know, like characteristic. And maybe that, that, that's a lot more challenging. Maybe the, maybe the component that needs to be adjusted is elsewhere. Right. And same thing with Under Armour. I, I, I realize I'm wearing an Under Armour shirt. You know, this polyester is not a patented material. Mm. Right? You study Under Armour's supply chain. They produce shirts everywhere. Well, mm. not in the United States. You know, I mean, right. they're headquartered in, in, in Baltimore, but they wouldn't want to produce things in the United States simply because it's too expensive. It doesn't make any sense. But again, I mean, be, this is light too. I mean, you could easily, the shipping cost is not going to be that much compared to yeah. like hard, like sheet metals, for example. But I think in a post-pandemic moment when conventional wisdom is being challenged, people are trying to understand, oh, maybe I'd be better off producing some of the things domestically to avoid that risk. That should be done. That can be done. Or, and, or at the very least, that option should be surveyed. Mm-hmm. and understood, right? right? And I'm not seeing a whole lot of that. But I'll, I'll tell you what I'm seeing on the horizon, what's going to happen is probably when the shortage becomes imminent for the holiday shopping season, mm-hmm. you will have more and more suppliers that try to review their production strategy or that they will try to review their supply chain and value chain strategy. And maybe we'll see some of the activities that are being brought back to the United States, mm-hmm. right? Again, it's a mix and match uh, strategy. I'm not, talk, I'm not saying that you, know, you should completely do away. I mean, if you completely do away with one strategy, you are falling into the old trap again. Yeah, it's just with a new strategy. Yeah. So right. talking about strategy, I mean, this is what we do. What we can help is right. to give you a holistic look of the market. Right? We provide you with the market intelligence. We give you the coverage of what needs to be done. Um, based on our observations and based on the different types of clients and industries that we've been, we've been working with. And then we could kind of foresee what's down the road, what's right. going to happen, right? Because I think it's fair for me to say that the international economy is still very fluid, not only because of the, the, the coronavirus or a pandemic, but because in, again, the post-pandemic moment, Every country, every manufacturer, every supplier is still trying to find that balance mm-hmm. in maintaining, uh, you know, the, the edge, the competitive edge. And, and quite honestly, I think the competitive edge of certain companies are diminishing pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, because the old conventional wis- wisdom might not persist. Right. Right. So, as always... If you want to have a chance to, you know, just have a conversation with, uh, with Wei Chung and I, learn a little bit more and, you know, kind of share your business and kind of kick off that conversation, we always include our link in the podcast and video description wherever you're listening or watching us. And we hope to hear from you and hope you got some value out of this episode. Thank Thanks. you. Bye.